Welcome to Psychedelicast. Hosted by Clinton Cayley, this show is an interview-based podcast focused on offering listeners in-depth information concerning plant medicines, entheogens, and all subjects tangential to psychedelia. Join us in prying open the third eye. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Psychedelicast. I am your host, Clinton Cayley. Super excited to be with you guys today, as usual. Um, a little bit more so today than than I normally am. However, um, the guest I'm about to introduce to you really needs no introduction for listeners of this show. I have to assume that people who are listening to this show have a vested interest in the psychedelic culture and are therefore likely involved in the online discussions and social media platforms that house this type of material, content, and discussions. And if you are, you would be remiss to either not already know or to not familiarize yourself with today's guest, one of my personal favorite content creators in this space, James W. Gesso of Adventures Through the Mind podcast. I really can't uh, be more excited about offering you this episode. James W. Gesso is an author, public speaker, and a podcast host with a deep respect for psychedelic medicines. His work is inspired by his healing path through depression, substance abuse, and trauma, and focuses on translating the profound insights of the psychedelic experience into a higher quality of life for both the individual and society. As a creative entrepreneur, James has successfully utilized crowdfunding to independently publish two books, launch an interview-based podcast, and tour around the world both as a speaker and a researcher of psychedelic plants, culture, and medicine. Although mostly in his home country of Canada, his more than 100 public speaking events since 2011 span over 11 different countries. He has also authored numerous articles, essays, as well as having done radio, podcast, and print interviews. His two books, Decomposing the Shadow, Lessons from the Psilocybin Mushroom, published in 2013, and The True Light of Darkness, published in 2015, present a model for working with the magic psilocybin mushroom as an ally in personal transformation and in developing psycho-spiritual maturity. Adventures Through the Mind, his podcast and YouTube channel, is an effort to contribute to the psychedelic culture at large. Featuring interviews with luminaries in science, art, and culture across a range of disciplines, this platform expands James's work into a more broad exploration of progressive social developments and the potential role psychedelics might play within them. James is, at least in my mind, one of the foremost proponents of the psychedelic culture, particularly in the online world and in the world at large, as he's obviously widely traveled and widely spoken. Um, but I can tell you that when I first had the idea to refocus the podcast into the realm of the psychedelic and plant medicines, that James Gesso was one of the podcast guests that I kind of fantasized about and what I mean by that is that I told myself if slash when I can get James Gesso to agree to guest on the show I will feel a certain level of accomplishment in podcasting that I previously have not and that day came sooner than I thought and that day is today stay tuned for a fantastic episode psychedelic casters thank you so much for joining us Are you interested in the medicinal benefits of cannabis, but concerned with the legal and professional ramifications of using marijuana? 
CBD's Apothecary is a one-stop shop for all your CBD needs. People all over the world are turning to CBD to alleviate stress and anxiety, get better sleep, reduce inflammation, relieve pain, and so much more. CBD's Apothecary curates a full line of branded and lab-tested CBD products. Visit www.cbdsapothecary.com to shop our CBD oils, vapes, edibles, topicals, and supplements. CBD's Apothecary is also home to the only CBD-infused nut edible on the planet, CBD's Nuts. Our edibles start at just $5 a bag, and we've recently reduced the price of our most popular product, CBD's Drops 1000 mg CBD oil, to only $50. We have specifically priced our products to make CBD affordable and accessible to everyone. Shop now at www.cbdeezapothecary.com. Psychedelic Cast listeners enjoy 10% off at checkout with promo code CBDMED. That's C-B-D-M-E-D. Thank you, CBD's Apothecary. Okay, so a little housekeeping here before we get into the interview. Um, I want to speak just however briefly about the show, the interview itself, um, before we get into it. So to be honest with you, during the recording of this episode, I was a little bit starstruck, a little bit nervous. I'm not sure if that came through. I don't see how it wouldn't. Um, not that James himself gave me any reason to feel that way. This was just my own kind of... Uh, feeling as we went into the episode because I'm such a big fan. I've been listening to Adventures Through the Mind now for quite some time, uh, at least a year, probably closer to two years. It's one of my favorite podcasts, period. It's my favorite podcast dealing with the psychedelic. Um, I just, I find James to be a highly intelligent and generally impressive person. Um, and he is so articulate and well-spoken that i I found it at times difficult to uh, keep up with him. And once again, this is not because of any mistake or fault on his part. It's just that I was feeling a little out of sorts during this interview, which I was concerned might happen. Um, but I feel like I soldiered through it pretty well. And not to say that I think this interview went badly or poorly. I don't. I really enjoyed the interview. I think it went great. I think we covered some great topics. Um, I'm kind of just exposing my own insecurities at this point. Um, just interviewing James for me was a trip, um, and it was a good trip, but a trip nonetheless. Um, so I was definitely feeling self-conscious about this interview, although I very much enjoyed recording it. Um, it can be daunting speaking to someone who you truly admire and respect, especially when they are so adept at the very thing you are undertaking as an amateur at best. And by that, I mean he's obviously already an experienced podcaster. I am in a certain aspect, um, but not as adept at uh, speaking as James is. We didn't stick to the original script. I had given him like kind of an outline of what I wanted to go through several weeks, several weeks uh, before we actually recorded the interview. And as James puts very well during the interview, the world has drastically changed since we initially spoke. Um, so it didn't, most of the things that I wanted to initially talk about didn't get 
we didn't really get to them because we were busy talking about other very important things. And I'm fine with that, and I, once again, am, am pleased with the way that the interview went, especially in light of the current global situation. Um, you know, I really appreciate James for taking the time to guest on a newer show or a more marginal show like mine. Maybe he's just he was just bored because of the uh, of being on lockdown. Whatever it was, I don't actually think that's the case because he agreed to do this show several weeks before we went into this full lockdown mode. So I really appreciate him taking the time out of his busy schedule to um, guest on my show. And there was one pretty cool part that you'll hear in the interview where he kind of fully integrates me. Um, he kind of takes me step by step through his actual integration sessions that he offers uh, online via his various websites and platforms. So that was really cool to be a part of. Um, that was just kind of an impromptu thing. We were discussing one of my psychedelic experiences and he kind of like does his breakdown integration thing and that was really cool to be a part of. He was even nice enough to send his uh, audio recordings to be used for the show today. So I'm actually using the copies that he recorded. So he basically did my show for me and then sent me all the stuff, which was really cool. Um, so I just want to wish James and all of our brothers and sisters to the north and around the globe right now a safe uh, transitory period as we learn and grow during this ever-evolving situation. Thank you so much, James. And I hope that the rest of the world out there is doing as well as can be expected in these dire circumstances. Beyond that, guys, continue to do what you're doing and being awesome as far as engaging online uh, on the social media platforms. We are at Psychedelicast on Facebook and Instagram. I've gotten some reviews via iTunes that I really appreciate. You guys subscribe to the show on whichever app you're catching pods, your podcasts with. Uh, review, share, all that good stuff. Just share the show with the community. That way we can gain a larger following. I can spend more time doing this. We can continue to have high caliber guests on like all the guests we've had and uh, including James as well. So thank you so much for engaging with the show. Let's talk a little psychedelic news before we get into the interview. In psychedelic news today, we're going to talk about a very pressing issue that's no doubt on everyone's mind. Before we go ahead and read this article from Kratom Science for you, I'm going to preface this one with a little disclaimer. Here at Psychedelicast, we do not condone or recommend the use of any plant medicines, chemical compounds, or drugs to treat any diseases. Um, although we may sometimes speak flippantly about these compounds. They are very, very powerful. Um, certain of them can even be physically dangerous. Uh, the point that I'm trying to make here is that we are not experts. and We certainly have no room to be speaking um, as if we understand all the medical implications of the coronavirus or any cure or treatment for it. With that being said, we do not condone or recommend the use of any plants, chemicals, or drugs for the treatment of any disease here at Psychedelicast. Let's read an article from KratomScience.com. This was written on March 16, 2020 by an unnamed author. This article is entitled, No Evidence Kratom Cures Coronavirus, But It Might Help Boost Our Immune System. 
We want to first note that this article mentions chloroquine. A man in Arizona has recently died from taking chloroquine phosphate used to treat fish for parasites rather than medical chloroquine. His wife is in critical condition. Do not take chloroquine without a doctor's prescription. Due to lies about plants like Kratom from the FDA, people continue to be confused about what is and what is not safe. There's no evidence Kratom is a cure for the COVID-19 strain of coronavirus, but anyone experiencing symptoms should call their doctor and not rely on Kratom. Kratom is not a cure for anything. Most people use Kratom for general wellness, as an energy boost, or as a tool to get through anxiety, depression, and or chronic pain. There are some indications that Kratom might help to boost the immune system. The Indonesian newspaper Pontianak Post recently published an article quoting Dr. Thamrin Usman of Tanjungpura University. Dr. Usman said that certain kratom alkaloids behave similarly to chloroquine, a medication used to treat malaria. Chloroquine has been misreported as an alkaloid found in kratom leaves. Dr. Usman was giving advice to the Indonesian people regarding the outbreak of COVID-19 for which there is no cure and no vaccine. He suggested people try to boost their immunity through natural herbal supplements that grow in Indonesia, Kratom being one of them, Dr. Usman said, and we're going to read a quote here. By looking at the chemical structure of chloroquine molecules, which contain secondary and tertiary amine compound structures, it can be considered to use Kratom leaves, because metragenine compounds in Kratom are actually secondary and tertiary amines, end quote. Many alkaloids in Kratom act as immunostimulants, defined as, quote, substances, that stimulate the immune system by inducing activation or increasing activity of any of its components, end quote. And we're going to end that article there. With that being said, that article is fairly vague and nondescript. However, I thought that was an interesting point myself being a Kratom user and having found great benefit from it. Um, beyond all that, I will reiterate one final time. We make no recommendation here as to any medical treatment or cure for Kratom or any other plant medicine, compound, or drug. With that said, let's get into this fascinating interview with James W. Gesso of Adventures Through the Mind. Welcome to Psychedelic Cast. First of all, I'm Clint, man. It's a pleasure to meet you. Um, this is really cool for me. I'm a big fan of your show, so I'm pretty excited about this personally. <laughs> cool, man. Well, thanks thanks for having me. I I, uh, I infrequently am sitting on this side of the podcast table, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad I was able to uh, talk you, wrangle you into that. Um, it was actually pretty easy. It was easier than I thought, so uh, I was pretty excited about that. Yeah, I, I really like doing interviews uh, on again, like on both sides of the, of the podcasting table. Um, so opportunities generally when they come my way, I jump on them because cross-pollination is, is important. And unlike maybe some, like unlike other podcasters in the psychedelic scene, not all of them, um, but I have a body of work that exists beyond my podcast, uh, which mm -hmm. makes me excited to talk about, uh, about what I'm doing, you know, cause otherwise it would just be like podcast shop talk kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. for sure. 
Um, yeah, and uh, before this goes up, I'm gonna list a, a laundry list of your uh, accomplishments and cool stuff that you're into. So that'll all be out there for our listeners to uh, explore and enjoy. Um, how's it going up there in America's uh, northern neighbor, man? What is it like there on the ground right now? Let's just touch on the coronavirus thing real quick and get it out of the way and move on to other stuff because I'm curious what your life is like right now. Uh, my life, um, well, my life hasn't changed a whole lot, actually. Uh, my life has primarily for the last little while. It's funny because if you think about like, if you think about it from like the allure or like the persona of like, you know, I'm a psychedelic researcher traveling the world, trying psychedelics, exploring my mind, and blah, blah, blah. You'd think that I live a pretty radical life. And in some, in some sense I do, but the vast majority of my time is actually sitting at home alone on a computer. Um, like that is, you know, I get to have these incredible summer tours, which, um, has been awesome traveling and, and whatnot, uh, teaching and whatever else. Um, but most of my time is, is really just like sitting on my computer at home. And I had already decided last year that I was taking a year off travel, which is sort of like, you know, like coincidental to have made that decision. Uh, yeah. just having no idea, obviously that COVID was coming in. I mean, other than the people paying attention for the last four years about the potential of a new, coronavirus coming into existence from like a what's it called like zoo it's like zoo tonic or zoo something or other in reference to animals like viruses jumping animals and then into humans uh like i think even bill gates was talking about it four years ago like we're not ready um and i mean here we are sars 2.0 sars upgraded um, yeah and how it's changed my life other than ongoing levels of uh, you know, some combination of anxiety and active coping with the profound uncertainty of the situation that we're all in. Um, it's pretty similar. I mean, my living situation is different. I'm not socializing with anyone. I'm taking social distancing very serious because as you can tell from having to take a breath after all that talking is, uh, I have a compromised lung function. So, I mean, whether you're oh, young okay. or old pre, you know, like predetermined, uh, or like pre-existing uh, um, medical conditions will increase your chances of severe complications and death, but doesn't actually matter how old you are or whatever. It's like you might not die. You're less likely to die if you're 20, but that doesn't mean that you won't have an experience that's extremely uncomfortable and permanently damages your lungs for the rest of your life. So the arrogance of people being like, well, I'm 25, so I, only old people die. You know, this type of bullshit, arrogant childish behaviors yeah. it's not a particularly good way to look at it in my opinion either i work in emergency medicine so i'm aware of the well you know that's odd that uh i work in emergency medicine and i haven't seen any um any confirmed case yet i've seen a bunch of like possibles that went ended up being unconfirmed or ended up being um non-infected but i haven't seen any confirmed cases which i find odd so there's kind of that conspiratorial part of me that's like I should have seen a sick p patient by this point, but well, I, I mean, think it's that tough. it's going to exacerbate, though. Over it's the it's next tough couple. to say, man, because like this, we don't know the actual efficacy of these tests. Of course, I, I've been one of my favorite pers people to listen to in all of this right now is Peter Atia, who's a podcast called The Drive. He's a doctor, research doc, and works with a team of researchers. And he uh -huh. talks about like the actual like efficacy or accuracy of the test, you know, so yeah, which isn't super strong yet. Um, and I think it's good. We should be. It's great to get a lot of negatives, assuming that those negatives are are true negatives and not false negatives. False negatives or false yeah. positives 
not so bad, you know, like it would suck to get a false positive and do like the quarantine and all the rest and blah, 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 knowing that you don't have it, but it would suck a lot more to get a false negative and end up whatever the, um, uh, like the trend, like the spread is like the R not factor and give it to like three different people and one of them dies kind of thing, you know? So, but yeah. my life has changed socially because I'm not like spending time with people. My partner has moved mm -hmm. in here temporarily. Well, cause her housemates weren't being, uh, weren't being as responsible as they could be or should have been. I mean, should is a shaming thing, but I'll lean into it at this point because they weren't really informed as how serious it was. Um, um, so we've got like a two weeks where she's here and they're sort of like self monitoring and then we'll grow our pods. We have very isolated sort of social pods right now. We're not coming into physical or close contact with anyone else, um, until we can verify who's who and who's what, and then we can expand our pods to other people who are taking it as seriously. Um, and yeah, here sort of politically, uh, it's interesting because I don't actually like our prime minister, Justin Trudeau. Um, I kind of think that he's a smiling at the front, stab you in the back, sort of like um, uh, feigning, like he, he feigns liberalism and then continues on with like a slightly left of, of uh, slightly left centrism, um, but more mm -hmm. towards like basically doubling down on, on resource extraction industries and making claims about stuff and in the public eye about like um indigenous rights and all the rest but then basically totally um subverting it in his actual actions and stuff but in this context i'm appreciating what he's doing he's not making this a partisan issue although because he has a minority government i think that's why he's not moving as quickly with the extremes as i i personally think he should be but mm -hmm. i am appreciating that we in this time of what is ultimately for, for our generation here in North America, like our great war, um, that he, that, that we have a leader that's taking it seriously. We are in a process where, um, our economy he claims is like strong because generally an economy's strength is not determined by how big the debt is, but how the percentage of like debt accumulation with GDP, which is actually quite low for Canada, which is good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so we could recover despite how big our debt is, assuming that industries don't totally collapse in this time. So yeah. that's, he's planning on giving people just like a bunch of money to survive while telling them not to go to work. Um, and yet, and he's, and he's making these claims about things are going to go well, we're preparing the hospitals, <clears throat> investing and blah, blah, blah. But in my local town, we have like, the, we don't have enough tests, which he's not claiming. Um, so we're only testing people who are severe and our testing is so overloaded that it, at this point, it's a week before you get your responses, which might be people dying long before that. And we have a situation now where one of the hospitals here locally, because masks are so limited that, um, there is this, and this is provincial more so than federal, our, our provincial leader, our premier, his name is, uh, Doug Ford. He's the, he's the brother of Rob Ford, the sort of infamous Toronto mayor that was caught smoking crack and like that whole thing. Yeah. But for some reason, people <laughs> loved him and kept him in power. Like how, what idiocy. But anyways, Doug Ford is our, is our premier. Sadly, he was sort of like our, like, um, Trump light here, uh, in Ontario and he's making all sorts of claims and he's, I mean, he's not as egregious, the egregious dumb fuckery is much lower for him right now than it is normally. 
Um, mm-hmm. But they apparently have these a million masks since leftover from the SARS epidemic, which was pretty intense in Toronto, but they can't use them. So in Ontario, the, the hospitals, the protocols to have access to the N95 masks are so intense that nurses are being encouraged not to use them. And one of the hospitals that was closest to me recently, a case came in with, quote, the flu and nurses were not allowed to use N95s and up to 50 nurses were exposed with COVID at the hospital because the hospital would not let them access masks because there aren't enough. And yet there are a million of them somewhere. They're trying to figure out if they're viable, if that makes sense. But, um, but now like these nurses can't even get their tests back. They can't be working. We're down 50 nurses. Like this is the whole thing. You know, it overloads the medical system. The people who would be not fine, but they would survive if they got respirators and proper care won't Mm -hmm. because our needs exceed our resources. And then a bunch of people die who wouldn't. And then it just continues to get worse. And then the healthcare system collapses and we turn into the situation Italy's in where they have military trucks hauling out, you know, hundreds of bodies a day. Um, what was it? Two days ago, 700 people died in a day. In a wow. day. Yeah. And it's growing I've been every looking day, at some know? of those numbers. Yeah. And um, there's a part of me that that is uh, very, like, I feel like this is just the beginning and it's going to be building and it's going to be exacerbating. Um, but there's like this other part of me that doesn't want to believe that, you know, that's like, I guess because we've never seen something like this. Like this is, I was talking with my significant other uh, about this the other day that this is a moment in history that's completely unprecedented on scale it appears that it's going to be completely unprecedented um when it all plays out so i don't know i just think it's so many unknowns and yeah there's a lot to go into as far as politics and what's going on here especially in the medical um industry and i could speak on some things but i'm not going to because i work in that field so i don't really i I don't know for some reason i don't feel like comfortable talking about that on the air I mean, that, that, that makes sense, man. <laughs> Honestly, like, I'll just say I heard a quote today or uh, the other day, this hilarious video that was talking about, like, basically like an honest government ad about uh, about coronavirus. And they talked about how there's uh, what they say, like, um, that uh, there's they're they're in a shit show and the shit show is being uh, propagated by dumb fuckery. And the dumb fuckery seems to be pointed to this man. Uh, but it was like Donald Trump and it was like the statements of this malignant shit funnel. Um, and <laughs> honestly, it's like his, that whole, like, it's a, I don't know, like the hoax, it's going to be fine. This and that, the kind of stuff that he was promoting. I'm really sad to say, like, I'm happy you're not seeing cases wherever you are in the U S but according to yeah. the numbers and according to like the obvious complete dysfunction of the way your medical system is set up, you yeah. are going to be probably in the next two weeks, your country is going to be the absolute epicenter of, of Corona of, of COVID-19 um, to if, a place where it's as the yeah. way that I'm ex- the way the what I'm seeing right now, yeah. and where I can, as I'm extrapolating it myself, and just thinking of the possibilities where it could end up or where it could be very quickly. That seems like a um, particularly realistic option you know or it just it, it, do, it doesn't look good to me um like just for instance i went to the grocery store the other morning to get eggs and it was like the local grocery store that i always go to it was like eight o'clock in the morning there was a lot a line of about 50 people so i'm like okay like people are lining up but as they opened the doors and we started to kind of move in 
people kind of were like tussling for shopping carts and it didn't get particular. It wasn't like violent, but it was like overly aggressive. And I was like, you know, it made me uncomfortable just however so slightly, but I was like, okay. And then instantly in my mind, I just saw that like three weeks in the future. And I was like, this could get really, really weird in a short amount of time. So I'm hoping that it doesn't go that way, but I don't, it doesn't seem, there doesn't really seem another way to play it out right now. So yeah, I mean, I I'm, for. I'm, 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 I'm sad to know that you and other people that um, I'm close to that live in the United States are going to be in the midst of this because it's going to get bad. I mean, like the <clears throat> Canada's even shut down the border. When, when Trudeau announced that he was shutting down the borders to all like international people, like all international, whatever, except for nationals and, um, and uh, permanent residents who don't show any symptoms. Even if you were a uh, national, you couldn't get on the plane if you're a Canadian, if you showed symptoms, which obviously makes sense. And he was keeping the border to the United States open. He got so much shit, you know, like the Beaverton or maybe it was the onion was like, um, Canada, Canada decides to exclusively import COVID-19 from the United States because it's so rampant out there. And you have no idea how many people have it except thousands and probably a magnitude more than that because the testing is so poor. Same here. We know here in the city, we have like eight cases or nine cases. Um, but mm-hmm. I even messaged them because I was like, I think I might have had it last week. I don't know these things, but I didn't come in contact with anyone. I feel like I might be at risk. And they were like, well, you don't need to get tested. Just stay in your house. You know, it's like, so we don't know how many people have it. Yeah. So it is, it is. I mean, it's scary times. I was, I was saying to um, a couple friends of mine that it's like, I don't know if anyone listening has had this experience when, say, on LSD or possibly ayahuasca where – all of a sudden you could be with a group of people just on your own. And all of a sudden you enter into this mental world In this mental world, there's a scenario unfolding and the time frame that you're in that scenario unfolding, it is unbelievably real, far reaching, complex, possibly frightening, possibly not, but it's like, it's super intense, but it has this feeling to it where it's almost surreal and you don't know that it isn't real, but you know that it's like, hyper real and you're completely engrossed in it and then at some point you come to and you realize none of that actually happened or at some point i would come to and realize none of that what was happening in my mind was happening i'm all i'm still just like meditating on my couch right Mm -hmm. and i have this sense of like is this just one of those things like am i like in the midst of this like weird sort of like hallucinogenic journey of a of like a bad like an acid come down or something (laughs) and i'm gonna wake up and realize like none of this is actually happening while simultaneously recognizing like nope this is real this is a living nightmare and there's nothing i can do about it i'm completely powerless other than isolating myself inside as best i can you know and meanwhile being isolated from my family because my father's older with uh, high blood pressure i've got um, small nephews, including one who's only just a year old. So it's like, it's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very scary. And, uh, I mean, like yourself probably, and like the people listening, just doing my absolute best to try to orient myself in a way where there's some sort of sense of stability or sturdiness in like the face of such profound uncertainty, which is Mm -hmm. so difficult and i'm super super grateful to have my partner and one of my best buddies who's also my housemate 
to be so on board with how serious this is and taking yeah uh, and us to be able to talk about it openly and have great communication and trust each other's sort of sense making around how to conduct ourselves in the world to be safe and getting ready for sometime in the next week we assume to go under total uh countrywide lockdown like in pakistan like in new york like in all these other places um because despite the fact that work is shut down and restaurants are shut down they had to shut down the city like the parks because people were just packing themselves into the parks here like no awareness yeah. of how dangerous this is and even yeah. university students throwing giant parties after they were told not to and it's just like people don't fully understand and so they're doing these dangerous things it's putting the entire country and the medical infrastructure at risk so I mean, what's a leader yep. going to do except activate wartime measures, shut everything down and shut everyone into their house? Like, you know, a little smack on the hand and say, like, go to your room. You're, you're misbehaving. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's very it is. Yeah. I think I liked your uh, I liked your kind of psychedelic experience analogy there, because, you know, this is like a, a, a long psychedelic experience for the whole world because it's so surreal. It almost is like having it's it's an analog to one of those experiences on a longer scale. And um, the positive part of me or the uh, optimist side of me is excited about what the future may look like after this, because I think this is going to be a massive shaking of a lot of people's different um, frameworks. And I think I'm hoping the silver lining is that something is going to come out of this that is positive for us as a species. And I think that, uh, you know, this is going to be a time for people to really wake up and pay attention. And unfortunately, there is going to be large loss of life. And that's, that's terrible. And that's sad. We need to try to mitigate that as best we can. But in the grand scheme of things, is this something that's necessary for us? Like, isn't this all part of the way it works or what do you think about that? Is, is there, is there going to be a silver lining? Is this going to, are we going to be okay? Uh, well, I don't know, man. I mean, like this is just the warm up. Like what did, uh, um, Sam Harris called it a stress test. Like yeah. this, this is as incurrent as intense as it is like the Imperial college London report that said, like if all countries chose to just let the disease run its course and do nothing, We'd be looking at combination of fatalities direct from the illness and fatalities as a consequence of collapsing medical infrastructure, 80 million people dying in three to six months. That wow. is unbelievable. Like that's yeah, intense. And yet it would then eventually we would enough people would go through it that we would have an immunity, assuming we have sustained immunity. We don't know that yet. Or we would develop a vaccine, assuming that that vaccine doesn't ultimately kill the entire human race because it gives us cancer. We don't know that yet. Mm -hmm. um, and it'll eventually run its course. And we'll be back to a different like well, a different way of living, but we'll be back to life where we're not locked inside and concerned about the virus. That yeah. This is the stress test because the reality is like, this is nothing. This isn't even climate change yet. Yeah. Right? This isn't even climate change yet. So it's like, yeah. we don't know what's going to happen. There's And I like to think that this will, but this is, this weird sort of, I don't know. I mean, there's different positions. 
on some level, this could be the thing that pushes us into like the totalitarian new world order nightmare of the conspiracy theorists, where now we have like a one world government run by martial law that completely controls every aspect of our lives in order to track and control the spread of a virus that otherwise is completely uncontrollable. Or we could end up on the other side of this, having band together as team human to fight the negative consequences of our irresponsibility as a socioeconomic civilization and then in place prepare ourselves to shift our way of being in the world towards a type of world that will lessen the incoming impact or oncoming impact of climate change maybe mitigate the the climate change itself and um and be able to navigate what's coming in a positive way i don't mm-hmm. know i mean i like to think that you know the consequence of this will be the like the the United States waking up to how completely ineffective and dangerous a profit-driven healthcare system is and implementing some sort of socialist healthcare. Like I believe Spain mm-hmm. just nationalized healthcare as a consequence of this. Possibly it will, you know, like the, the supreme lack of trust for the Chinese government that's coming up out of the Chinese people who are otherwise generally pretty well propagandized into believing into the, to, to the leaning into the party line because the party is so good at their propaganda, like that is starting to be jeopardized. Like the world sort of, you know, the entire uh, like uh, international sort of governmental um, relationships with, with Chinese industry that they have been encouraging and enabling from hu- direct human rights abuse to the type of like um, the extractivism that on behalf of China encouraged by the rest of the world by continuously buying their stuff and like basically pushing a leader who is as far as i can tell a terrible person um is what created the context where these wet markets to emerge for this virus to emerge you know so it's like on one level you could say like china accidentally like participated in like um uh biomolecular terrorism by producing this thing, I mean, not in a lab, but like in the wet market, but on the other end, you'd say, well, they wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for the rest of the world encouraging it. So possibly, you know, how we engage and how, what kind of like expectations we have on, on the Chinese like government to conduct themselves industrially and on a business factor will, um, will change and we're less likely to have something like this happen in the future. It's possible that Canada will implement universal basic income because there's no other way for us to continue. And then once this is over, I don't think people are going to be all that stoked about having that, that, you know, living wage directly delivered to you every day, uh, taken away from you. I don't think that's going to land well, you know, so there's all sorts of like positive things that could come of this. I mean, the earth is definitely getting a break. All of us are getting the recognition of like, whoa, this is what it's like to slow down. It's terrifying, but also, holy shit, I don't have to keep up with the rat race. Some of us do. But um, I mean, there's lots of positive potentials and obviously like I'm paying attention. I'm well read, yada, yada. I'm also just like a random dude on the Internet, you know, so like my opinions on the geopolitical context of this are, you know, like they come with a salt shaker. So apply liberally right (laughs) but uh (laughs) but yeah i mean like i'm doing my best to understand all of this um while also at the same time just trying to focus in on the present moment you know like stephen stephen jenkinson says that back working in the death trade you know it's impossible to know when a person's gonna die 
but it is possible to assess how long they have to live based on the rates of change of their symptoms. If their symptoms are changing once a month, then you can probably reasonably say they got months to live. If it's weeks, weeks to live, days, days to live, hours, hours to live. And then in the final moment, things are changing so rapidly, it's like the time is coming. And he yeah. suggests that our, our society is doing the same. And so actually at this point, the rates of change in civilization is hour to hour, literally hour to hour. Like I have to check mm -hmm. out because otherwise I'm constantly checking because it's hour to hour. Like what we knew of our yep. civilization is currently in the dying process and what will come on the other side of that, I don't know. And I'm doing my best right now to orient myself to focusing on how I'm showing up in the present moment while also keeping yep. myself aware of what's happening beyond the present moment so I can be switched on um, while taking the very pragmatic uh, steps of keeping myself safe and keeping my loved ones safe and keeping my society's medical infrastructure safe by practicing intense social distancing and what I believe to be the civic responsibility of social distancing um, and like at yeah. this point quasi-social isolation as we stay contained in our little pods and go out as little as possible. And I mean go yeah. out, I mean go to the grocery store, go to other places. We're not going out by any means, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, let's tell you what, man. Let's move on from the coronavirus. What? It's, There's something know, else to talk about? Yeah, there are right, other exactly. topics in the world right now? Oh, <laughs> my know, God. Man. It's not possible. Dude, I was going to tell you, I just turned off – I actually deleted uh, all my social media apps uh, – saturday and sunday just because i was like dude i can't take it like i'm just staying in this constant loop of shittiness like i know like you know we, I, we have to find balance there like being informed and then not being inundated with like this this never just you have to step out of that loop sometimes so i had to do that this weekend and uh, it felt good just to kind of detox for however long, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, now to run the podcast and to do this and that, you have to step back into that world. That's just all there is to it. But it was nice to take a couple days outside of that world. And although we were just here in the apartment, I had my kettlebell on the porch. You know, my dog is here. So, you know, could be uh, worse over here, man. Yeah, like, kettlebells. Honestly, so, <laughs> I love kettlebells. Yeah, so yeah. I'm super I'm super thankful to be in the position I am right now, although I do go – I still have to go to work every day and possibly be exposed to the coronavirus myself. Um, you know, it is what it is. But that's one thing that I can say about my situation is at least I have a direction. You know, I know what my directive is right now. My directive is just to continue doing my job, which is tertiary to helping people out. And, um, so at least I, I also have that and I'm thankful for that. You know, a lot of people have, they're just, their jobs are gone now and they're sitting at home and all they have running through their head all day is fear, anxiety, this, that, and the third, no direction. I can only imagine like the mental states of some people who don't have the support system that I have and the, you know, luckily my job is the most in like the most necessary job at this point. So I'm super lucky for that, even though it kind of puts me in the line of fire. Um, I feel, I feel, I feel thankful for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Clint, <laughs> I want to just thank you for continuing to, to working in healthcare right now. And, you know, back in, uh, back in 1914, it was like the, you know, sometimes 14 year old kids going onto the front line to fight for freedom or whatever the narrative is. Um, and mm -hmm. same for World War II. 
And this is our great war and the people who are fighting on the front lines to save all of us, to save literally our, our lives, but also sort of socially the institutions that allow us to have, not for everyone, but for the most part, a much higher quality of life than was possible a hundred years ago to sustain the things that give rise to the capacity for us to grow and develop as a species is being fought for by people on the front line, people in healthcare, people like yourself, and you're putting yourself at risk to do that for all of us. And I just want to thank you very much. Well, thanks, man. I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, like you were saying, my life hasn't changed that much. It's, it's, uh, you know, other than our protocols tightening up and expanding, like obviously that's all altered. Like our day-to-day, um, the way we operate on a day-to-day basis has just kind of narrowed down in scope because we have to be so careful with these patients that come in, you know, with any sort of upper respiratory fever combination, yada, yada, yada. You know what, man? Let's step, let's step out of this arena, okay? Um, I appreciate <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, let's try. Let's try. <laughs> <laughs> We've tried several times now, but thank you. Uh, thank you for saying so. I appreciate that. And man, I, I'm, I'm just happy to, to be able to be um, to have such a clear directive of help. Like, you know, some people, a lot of people want to help. They're not sure what to do. Like for me, at, at least that portion of it is easy for me. I just have to go keep doing what I do and, and do the best job that I can. So I'm grateful for that. Um, as someone newly stepping into psychedelic content creation uh, arena, I'm pretty interested to know where this all began for you, your podcast and your authoring and all that, because I've probably been listening to you for about, I want to say at least a year now. And uh, in my mind, you're like a huge name podcaster. Like you're, you're, I would put you up there in my handful of favorite podcasts, your show, uh, Adventures Through the Mind. So this is pretty trippy to me that we're even having this conversation and I'm really, uh, that's why I want to kind of move on into some cool, like more chill stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I don't we'll want to squander We'll talk about story. like, uh, encou- <laughs> encountering like the deep seated patterns of our childhood terror in the midst of a highly altered psychedelic state of mind, you know, light stuff, much lighter than coronavirus. I mean, <laughs> comparatively. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, where did it where did it begin for you? And how, when did you? I mean, I'm assuming there's a point where you kind of had to say, "I'm gonna go full fledged into this," and I'm gonna, you know, kind of like the people were coming out during the "Thank You Plant Medicine" thing. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm assuming you know there there must have been a point in your life previously to that where you're like, "Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and completely open myself to the possibilities of what this is." How, what did that look like? Uh, well, I mean, like any, any deep dive into the whys of choices always goes back so far that it extends beyond, uh, beyond even the lifetime of an individual and beyond even like the family heritage line or the, the family line of, of the people that gave rise to that individual, but out into the society in which those families were nested in and, and by which they were influenced. Um, but to keep things simple, obviously, uh, I'd say that it was after I had um, had my first big LSD experience, uh, my first, excuse me, first LSD experience, period, uh, that mm-hmm. something shifted for me in the way that I understood myself as a person. Um, I was feeling quite depressed um, after coming out of a pretty intense sickness, uh, which I believe was associated with um, a infection in my kidneys, but I never went to a doctor. They just kind of resolved. Thankfully I didn't die. Um, and I was in Australia and was like feeling disconnected from my friends and family and, 
uh, first time traveling, uh, like overseas travel and stuff. And I took LSD and it was like, whoa. I mean, I've told this story a couple, there's a great talk telling this story. Um, I, I think it's great. One of the best time, ways I've told the story from Ozora in 2016, that's on my website. And mm-hmm. um, I talk about having my head in my hands with these people uh, and just like complaining about my life. You know, and then all of a sudden I was shot out of my body and looked down at myself, like telling the story. And I realized, oh, you know, I'm only, I'm perpetuating this perception and this, this perception of the world. I'm perpetuating my depression by ongoingly reinforcing this narrative, which is based Mm -hmm. on me staying rigidly locked into a specific identity that is not. In, is not harmonious with the opportunities and the social relational context I'm now in. And so since I'm the one perpetuating it, I must have the power to change it. And so I decided to make the power to change it. And that power to change it was to no longer in my mind, the, the conception was no longer be Canada, James. Now I'll be Australia, James. But what I failed to recognize was that my, although I did have an empowerment to make those changes, the, the resources I had in to wield with that empowerment was contextually limited. And so the context at the time was very much like party, like party culture and, um, and drug taking culture. And I was in that sort of like Melbourne sort of underground arts and drugs and, and whatever. And so that was the lifestyle I, I leaned into. Additionally, I lacked the awareness of how, uh, how I was still, even though I was moving away from my depression, I was doing so in a way that was distracting myself from the root causes of what was going on by getting high all the time. Eventually, I, de- I developed a problematic relationship with these drugs. Eventually, I started destroying all my relationships because I became selfish and self-oriented only towards like basically getting high. That was my priority and dishonoring some of the friendships I was making and making terrible choices. Thankfully, there was a handful of friendships that I made in the process of that where they were there with me and we all kind of went through it together in a way that... Um, we came out the other side, not everyone in that group came out the other side in a positive way, but a handful of us did. And now we have that sort of as a bond that came out of it. But at some point it was LSD again that showed me, holy shit, this is what I'm doing in my life. You know, what the language mm-hmm. was. And if anyone who's ever been like deep in an LSD experience can probably relate to being in this moment where time is completely frozen or like time has dilated to the point where all of existence across time and space now exist in this singular moment. It's all just happening right here, right now. And I'm having this swell of intensity of just in my mind, in the narrative, uh, in my affect, in my, in what would be like the domain of my senses, my sensorium. I'm like moving a light. I'm at a festival where I'm moving a light across a dash of the car that I locked myself into to protect myself from my friends who are on MDMA and would probably try to fuck with me. And I'm just like looking <laughs> at like the deep complex fractal patterns of the dust having laying, laying on the, on the, um, 
on the dash as though I could stare into like the molecular structure of, of, of everything and see how beautifully inter intricate it all is. But all of this is swelling. And then all of a sudden my emotions are swelling because I've been experiencing this terror and this fear and this overwhelm. I didn't know what it was. And then it all just came out in a singular statement and the statement perfectly captured and encapsulated exactly what was happening to me in that exact moment and why it was all happening that way and why it was so negative. And it was, I'm addicted, addicted to drugs. And then that just changed everything for me. And I <clears throat> ended up, I mean, true or not, that was impactful. And I ended uh -huh. up going on a journey from there to try to remove drugs from my life. But then I realized that the drugs were gone in the sense of the problematic substance use was gone. But A, the, the damage left over from that lifestyle was not gone psychologically. And the wounds that gave rise to that lifestyle in the first place were not gone. And so that's how somewhat coincidentally or not coincidentally, paradoxically, I decided to lean into the work of Terrence McKenna and of Justin, oh, sorry, Justin, uh, Timothy Leary and, um, and these guys that previously were the places that I used to intellectually justify my irresponsible substance use became the intellectual foundation for a responsible relationship to psychedelic mushrooms. And I began to cultivate a spiritual practice with them, which eventually came out the other end, very positively impacting my life, very positively impacting the way I understood them. Then mm -hmm. I ended up telling some friends about what I had learned and all of that. I was very like open about it when I got my, uh, I mean, it was a cafe, but I got this job in Calgary at one point. And I was going through the interview and they were asking me a few things. And I, I said, um, I said, yeah, although I will need the night of and the day after every full moon off for religious reasons. And the person hiring me was like, why is that? And I was like, well, because every full moon I take psychedelic mushrooms and go wander off into the woods to reflect on myself as a spiritual being. And they were like, <laughs> okay. And I guess and in the back of their mind, they're like, the fuck out. <laughs> no, actually in the back of their mind, she was like, she was like, this guy's cool. We're going to hire him. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but yeah. So when I started sharing that with people, um, I started getting a lot of feedback that what I was telling them was positively transforming their lives. And at some point, um, it, I, even the mushrooms were like, you need to share this bullet now. Okay. There's a bit to unpack there about like, quote, the mushrooms told me it's mm -hmm. not, I say it like that because it's it's easy to understand and I have a good relationship to that language. But if we were to pull it apart, the way I relate to saying the mushrooms told me is not the way you might assume on the surface of the statement. But the mushrooms told me um, to write a book. They told me to share this message, which I started to. And mm -hmm. then I started to write a book. And then I had this experience while I was working at the cafe of sweeping up. This is so interesting because I'm sweeping up and of the cafe and I look over at this magazine and the cover of the magazine is someone who goes to the cafe who spins fire and I've met them a couple times and on the cover is this woman with fire and it says um it says uh Calgarians getting paid to do what they love and at that exact moment I was just thinking to myself like you know what I can say these things so much easier than I can write them maybe I could lean into Terrence excuse me, Terrence McKenna, he was able to like go off and like, like do lectures and tell stories. Maybe I could do that. Maybe yeah. that's the direction. And then I saw that and I was like, that's it. I'm going to do it. 
And I yeah. went to the back and my friend was chatting with this dude. I think he was like chatting her up to try to like, you know? And so when I came up and said, hi, I was talking some unsafe social distancing. <laughs> well, I mean, back in those days it was reasonably safe. Um, yeah. but anyway, so he was trying, he was trying to impress her, I think. And so as we were talking uh-huh. and he was mentioning, he was running this program where he was bringing people over around and like to start a spiritual community center and needed speakers. And I was just like, Oh, can I speak? Like I just had this revelation. And I think the only reason he said yes is because he was trying to impress my friend. Uh, and he mm. said yes. And that was my first opportunity. And from there, I managed this incredible series of opportunities to speak. So that's kind of how it started. I had also decided I would leave my job to commit full time to it. Um, I had at that point saved up enough money to sort of like reasonably um, lean into writing the book. And then I used crowdfunding to, to do everything to start it over um, and ended mm-hmm. up with like basically broke with a bunch of books and a van and a tour, you know? And, yeah. uh, and then it just was like a roller coaster ride from there of like fundraising money and then spending it all, uh, preparing to then like tour and then make that money back and then not have a job and like commit more and blah, blah, blah. And eventually I, I moved back home to my parents' house to be a part of my family and then also chose to really lean into the opportunity they gave me to not have any weight, like have any overhead expenses. I got a job at a research chemical company actually, made quite a bit of money, um, and then quit that job once I had the money um, and all the while investing in what I saw as the business of a podcast because I wanted to do it anyways. I just loved it. I get to yeah. have amazing conversations with people that otherwise wouldn't talk to me at all because I have no like legitimacy at that point except I had written this underground yeah, I book. Feel, I feel like that right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then that it gets to benefit other people. You know, so it's like, wow, this is just so positive. And with Patreon, I could make it a reliable income and I could commit myself to this, to this career and this way of life that ultimately I get to explore the thing that I'm most impassioned by and benefit people's lives in the process. And then my livelihood is made on the gratitude and the generosity of the people who are positively impacted by it. I mean, like what an incredible way to live in the world. So that's a damn fine model right there. I have to say that is a damn fine, uh, that's the way to do it, man. Yeah. So <laughs> You're that's living the dream. Yeah. Thanks. Well, I mean like right now, we're, as we talked, I'm living in a nightmare, uh, but, yeah, uh, right. we both are, but, um, yeah, so I've been, I also very pragmatically was like, okay, so how do I build the podcast as a business that can, you know, like that I could give myself full time to it. And I raised mm-hmm. a bunch of money, uh, like working at the job and living at my parents' house until I was making 50% of my income, 50% of what I needed to survive, mm-hmm. and then moved out on my own in my own house, where I was on each month making 50% of my basic needs, um, mm-hmm. saying that I'm giving myself, I have, if I continue to make 50% and don't go any higher, I've got about a year before I'm kind of hooped, you know, and I got to move mm-hmm. back in with my parents or get a job. Um, mm-hmm. But if I continue to grow, then I had like even slowly, then I have up to two years to get myself to a place where it's sustainable. And within a year I had gotten myself to a place where it's sustainable and it is now still currently sustainable, although it's also growing. Um, and, mm-hmm. and the psychedelic integration, uh, like sessions that I offer is helping to push that up into slightly more than sustainable, um, mm-hmm. which is allowing me to invest in more technology, uh, in order to upgrade the podcast and, qualities and all the rest so yeah it's been awesome i mean like and and then the credit for the podcast gave me opportunities to travel and i mean that's how it started and that's where it came to and now 
here I am, you know, 2020, uh, mm-hmm. locked inside of the little room. I worked very, very hard to build all my time into, uh, just trying to right. find myself in the midst of this, uh, global nightmare. How long have you been uh, podcasting total? How long for, did this entire journey that we just talked about take? So I left my job um, in 2012 uh, to, to write the book. Although, no, it was in 2011 I left my job to write this book. Um, although I stopped writing the book for a short period of time so I could get extremely involved with Occupy and like live at the mm-hmm. camp and be another main people that the media talked to and blah, blah, blah in Calgary. Um, uh-huh. but I released the first book in 2013, um, and which is decomposing the shadow. And then I moved home, uh, in the fall of 2014 from Calgary to Kitchener, Ontario, which is about 2000, 3000 kilometers away in Canada still. Okay. Uh, and I started the podcast, started interviewing people, I think in early 2015 and it was very sparse it was like i started interviewing people but it was like you know in my parents basement with just like random headphones now i'm obviously i'm using a high quality mic i generally i have all the rest of the stuff but it was very like very diy mm-hmm. um and um that was in 2015 and at some points it was once a week at other points it was like once a month um all the while trying to like slowly figure out the Patreon thing. And it was in, I think it was in the fall of 2017. Um, maybe, yeah, in the fall of 2017 that I made a commitment to myself and to the people who enjoy the podcast that from here on in, I release a podcast every two weeks. That is my commitment to you. That is what you are getting if you become a patron. The knowledge, mm-hmm. that this is the base commitment. And then all, on top of all of that is whatever else I offer. And so it's mm-hmm. been since uh, since been since late 2017 that I've been offering a podcast consistently once every two weeks. And uh, yeah, that is now we're at to 118. I think 118 mm-hmm. is the next podcast that I'm, I'm starting to work on this week. It's actually right after this. Right after this, I'm going to get on uh-huh. my third interview with Patrick Krupa, who, oh, okay. uh, like the first one we did was just him and I chatting. We talked about BPC 157 and like life optimization or life extension, all the rest. And it was just such a fun interview, accidental interview that I released it. People loved it. The second interview was actually about the content, which was him, uh, about Ibogaine and his time as a heroin addict in New York in the nineties. Um, and people just loved it. So we're just jumping on another call cause we have great rapport. We're just going to talk about what's happening in New York and how yeah, I listened to that episode. That was a good one. I enjoyed that one as I enjoyed that one myself. Yeah. And so that'll be, and then this week I'll be, I'll be rendering that for, for this week's podcast or this Friday's podcast. So nice, man. Yeah. Well, it's time to, time to knock these podcasts out while we're all indoors for a little while. Um, I had a similar experience to what you were kind of describing with your psilocybin and and the mushroom speaking to you. Um, I took my first trip to Peru in October to drink ayahuasca for the first time. I I drank twice and I was in the, kind of as the peak was winding down for my first um, experience, which was extremely, extremely intense, like hands down the most intense um, mind-boggling psychedelic experience of my life, bar none. Yeah, it and, does that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was thinking, and 
you know, as this is kind of, it's like the violence, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Just the violence of the DMT experience is slowing down a little bit. So I'm able to kind of just think and everything's just not breakneck speed, like just coming at you. And I was like, how in the hell am I going to tell anybody about this? How, how will I describe this to anyone? And there's like different voices that are kind of speaking to me from somewhat seem to be my own subconscious, somewhat seem to be these uh, external characters or a mix of both. I'm not exactly sure. You know, you can, you know how that kind of gets muddy in those, uh, in those moments. And one of these voices is saying, well, you're not, no, no one would ever believe this. This is insane. Like there's no way to describe this to anybody. But then another voice is like, yeah, but you should try because you're you're at least um, articulate enough to give it a good attempt. So you should try to explain these things to people, and you should try to translate them. You know, filter. You know, try to translate out the the meaning of this, and not just give a trip report, mm-hmm. or you know, transduce these various um, these various musings that come out of this. And so she kind of Mother Ayahuasca kind of pretty clearly told me. I want you to go ahead and try to do this or, you know, do, do what you do, what you want to do with it, which is be open about it, be honest about it and be creative with it. So, um, that's just an aside to kind of relate to, to your beginnings. And, um, because up until that point, I had been experimenting with these various things privately for over well over a decade, 12 years, 13 years. And, um, but I was, I was never open about it. I was open about it with those close to me in my circle, you know, because I'm going through school, this, that, and trying to start this new career. But it was finally kind of like, I want you to learn to cut ties with those fears of being, um, don't be afraid to tell people about this because this is something that people need to know. Look how beneficial it's been for you. You need, if you have the capability and you are undergoing these deep experiences, then you also have the responsibility to um, share these with, with the world and in whatever capacity you can, or whatever, you know, to do your best at it. So basically what she told me. Mm -hmm. So I felt after that, I was like, okay, dude, it's time to, you know, I was already doing a podcast, a different podcast. It was kind of a grab bag. Like, uh, it veered heavily into the psychedelic because that's just kind of how my life was like the trajectory of my life at that point, as I was preparing to go to Peru to drink ayahuasca. And, uh, it was kind of like, I should alter the podcast to be more psychedelic centric. And I knew that I needed to fine tune my focus anyways, because it wasn't really going where I wanted it to go because I didn't have a good focus and it wasn't a niche, a niche podcast or anything like that. Um, and so far since transitioning the, um, the results have been pretty staggering by comparison to like the, um, community involvement of my last podcast mm-hmm. to this one. It's pretty cool. You know, people who are into psychedelics are pretty reactive. So that's, uh, they, uh, they seem to be pretty responsive to all the stuff that I've been working on. So I'm really enjoying doing this, man. I mean, I'm, and yeah, I get to talk to really cool people who would like never, I probably would never have access to just because I tell them, Oh man, I'm a podcaster. You know, like <laughs> and they just, uh, yeah, I've talked to se- several really cool people. I'm actually gonna uh, interview Mike J tomorrow. You've interviewed, you just interviewed Mike J, didn't you? Mm, I don't think so. I have no idea who that is. 
<laughs> no, uh, he wrote. Uh, not to not to like diffuse bad, your excitement or anything. Yeah, yeah, not to put you on the spot either. My bad. I could have swore he was on your show. He wrote uh, Mescaline: A History of the World's First Psychedelic. Or yeah. Oh that. yes, yeah. I would actually love to have him on my show. I contacted his publishing company for a review copy of his book, but they never got back to me. I think it's probably because his publishing company is like Harvard or Oxford or something, and they're probably just like, uh, yeah, random podcasting dude. No, we're not going to give you a free copy of this textbook, um, but. Uh, it's possible I could just reach out to him. I mean, maybe I'll maybe I'll uh, lean into your access point, see if I can get uh, get Buddy lined up. Yeah, we can talk about that. I could probably I don't know. I mean, I, we'll see. I mean, he was very cool to me. He was like, "Yeah, we're on lockdown. I don't have anything to do, so um, open the podcast." So I was like, "Great, awesome. <laughs> make the make the best of a bad situation, I guess." Mm-hmm. Um, so I had some different questions that I wanted to ask you, but this was like two weeks ago, three weeks ago that I kind of came up with these. But let's move into three weeks ago. Our... We were in a totally different world, man. Reality was exactly. a different place three weeks ago. It's like, what right. was relevant then is like, is any of that still relevant now? I don't even know. Will it be relevant later? I mean, whew. let's give yeah. it a try. Let's, let's see if it fits. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wanted to, uh, since you touched on your integration circle that you do online, what if, what are, I'm interested in some of your personal integration practices. What are some tools and techniques that you found that are helpful to um post psychedelic experience or or uh integration pre-psychedelic experience Mm -hmm. um so it's not they're not integration circles they're like one-on-one uh sort of like integration sessions with people oh okay okay Um, and i mean in order to describe to you what that looks like there's quite a bit of like I, i feel like in order to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing and why I feel like that's, and I have found that that's a helpful way for people to integrate. I would, mm-hmm. I would, it would require me to give quite a substantial sort of like explanation of the back end of what I'm thinking about, which we could go okay. to, but to directly answer the question that you asked, or to answer the direct question that you asked about what type of practices, um, <clears throat> it all has to do. So for myself, if I'm doing a journey, right, I will, uh, sort of spend time beforehand sort of excavating and getting a sense of why I'm going in. I engage Mm -hmm. the mushrooms as if I'm in a personal relationship with a teacher. I'm in a learning relationship um, and that everything that happens within that experience is a learning opportunity, but the lesson is not necessarily the literal um, manifestation of the experience. Right. So it's like if I interact with aliens, the lesson isn't necessarily that aliens are real and they taught me something, but I would look deeper into like what was the context that gave rise to that? What was the what was the uh, what was the, the setting I was in? What was I what was the reason why I went into it in the first place? What was I feeling in that moment? Chances are I was feeling, say, alienation. What were the aliens teaching me about? So where is the feeling of alienation arising from if it was alienation? You know, like what was the quality of the attunement between myself and the manifestation of these seemingly separate and intelligent entities, right? Like I would, I would wonder about all those things on a deeper level, ultimately looking at what was the feeling tone and how does the manifestation of metaphorical or mythical type, uh, sort of like thought patterns and thinking, um, uh, expose or like illuminate insofar as the deep underlying subconscious sort of patterns that were, you know, like that were the thing I was going in to look at when I set my intention. And so the way I would do that is like, I would be reflecting on what am I feeling? I would also be working very like diligently to sort of like 
if feelings arise to really give myself permission to feel those feelings and to cry and to like speak what's happening as I'm crying and to like all of these kinds of things. And so, and then the next day, right later that day, I would, I would take notes or that evening before I go to bed on some of the main themes, but nothing too substantial. And then the next day I would re-listen to the music that I was listening to during the journey. And then I will write it out step by step as if it were a story I was telling someone. And then I'll, I just do that for myself. And then the integration mm -hmm. is to really go in and make sure that it's like, I get every little detail I can remember, you know, like wait, writing a dream down when I first wake up. And then mm -hmm. once that's done, once I'm like, yeah, that's it. Then I don't change it from this. This is stuff I learned from Christopher Bache, who's been on the show um, with the high dose LSD uh, guy. So uh, yeah, professor. That, was, that, was, that was a really cool episode as well. I really enjoyed that one. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. He's great. Um, yeah. so, so yeah, so then I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And then from that, there'll be obvious themes that are arising and I'll, I'll then for a time afterwards, not just contemplate those themes, but what was the feeling tone present underneath those themes? So the themes are not just conceptual, they're non-conceptual, sub-conceptual. So for example, maybe, uh, what might be a theme? Um, all right. So, so the theme might be recognizing how a negative early life experience gave rise to unconsciously destructive or maladaptive behaviors in my relationships. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the theme is, you know, f fucking up in my relationship. Right. And the, and, and the, the link, the, the, the story with that is, oh, it comes from here. And so I have this high level conceptual understanding of, okay, here's all these things, how they link together and all the rest. But the non-conceptual aspect of that is like, I was feeling maybe deep shame and that it was the deep shame arose from the early life. And it was the, it was the hiding or running away from the deep shame that gave rise to the behaviors. And so in the integration or in the experience, chances are if I've managed to confront that deep shame and I'm doing so in a way where I have like safe context, either because I built it in myself or I have a sitter with me, then I'm now part of my integration will be not only contemplating what all of that means for my life now, but reaccessing the feeling of being safe to feel the shame. Because the thing that was giving rise to the behavior was the unconscious attempt to protect myself from feeling the shame that I'm carrying anyways, distorting yeah. my ability to appropriately and adaptively show up to relational conflicts and interactions. So not mm -hmm. only will I be thinking about or contemplating the themes in the sense of like kind of the stuff that happened and what I learned conceptually, but I will be practicing the feeling of having compassion for myself and my suffering, which is likely mm -hmm. to emerge. The feeling of going, oh, wow, that was really difficult or the feelings of like, of, of it's okay now. I'll practice those feelings the same way I might, um, the same way I might, uh, I don't know if you've heard of like positive neuroplasticity, the way you might practice happiness or like a, mm -hmm. a meta meditation where you are practicing loving kindness, for example. Sure. I will practice those feelings as well. So I'm linking mm -hmm. all those things together while also like direct contemplation, sitting down, thinking about it, being not like thinking, but like wondering. It's like a combination of 
intellectual engagement and total like passive allowance of the content to emerge before me as I pay attention, right? And then also I'll practice these feelings and that will be the integration process. So yeah. what I would do in a session with somebody would be to help them um, like to be sort of the mirror that helps them go through that process to unlock the recognition of those things, those themes and those feelings, and then give them suggestions on how to uh, then engage those things contemplatively and in a positive neuroplasticity, sort of like bringing on board the feelings, reinforcing the neural networks, the neural uh, architecture that allows the affect of compassion for one's suffering or whatever it might be on board mm -hmm. for the long term, but that would be how I would support integration. So that's a lot of detail, but the essentials of it are know why I'm going in, build a safe context to have that experience, mm -hmm. take light notes the night of, then t write the story down very intensely, like step by step um, the next day, listening to the music again, if there was music involved, and then mm -hmm. contemplating and engaging what was what I experienced uh, in that over the time afterwards until I have, I feel like I've integrated the things there enough so that they're a part of me mm -hmm. rather than a thing that happened. They're a part yeah. of me before I tell anyone else about them because I want to okay. make sure that they're truly in me before I give them to somebody else because at that point they, they don't have the same space to evolve. Yeah. On another end, if you wait too long, then you might lose the window of being able to um, the the window of being able to get feedback on them while they're still relevant. So th this is a little bit of a dance there too. And when I say I won't tell people about it, that wouldn't include somebody who I was asking to be an integration coach. That's a, that's a mm -hmm. different scenario. I wouldn't passively tell my friends about what happened until I felt like it was really time. Yeah, that's a that's a well yes, those are all good points. Um, during my ayahuasca uh, series, session series, um, it, I found it very interesting that unlike psilocybin for me, which is quite often somewhat very, very dreamy, very mind muddying is kind of the way that I say it. It's, um, it seems like you go into this state that is so dreamlike for me that often it's hard for me to remember um, the finer details. Ayahuasca for me, on the other hand, was very sharp and vivid, especially in the almost instructional um, aspect of uh, its instructional nature for me. Um, so at the end of my second session, like as it's winding down and I'm kind of coming out of it and realizing, okay, I'm not going to be drinking ayahuasca again for a while, um, she basically told me, I need you to go home and work on these things. She gave me like four major pillars of things that she wanted me to work on, which were very basic things, but they are basic concepts, but they're not so simple to uh, apply to your life. Yeah. Simple, not like, easy. Exactly. Yeah. So she's like, these are the, these are the four things that you, I want you to work on and I'll call you to come back whenever it's time. So it's almost like I keep thinking is, is it time to go back? Is it time to go back? And when I think about it, I'm like, no, she hasn't called me. And I'm like, she hasn't called me because I haven't, uh, sufficiently, I feel sufficiently, um, integrated these aspects of, of these things that she wants me to, to build in my life. Um, I feel very confident that I understand what the things that she was showing me, which in reality is another portion of my subconscious 
just, you know, it's like me talking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually asked the shaman about that. I was like, this, this entity that's speaking to me, that's instructing me seems so, um, external. Is it really ex- an external force? Is it really the plant spirit speaking to me? Or is this another portion of my personality, you know, basically speaking to me during the experience? He's like, he says, well, it's all the same thing. <laughs> yeah. That, okay. That's my answer too. Man. It's both. It's neither. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess uh, the things that she was saying sound, you know, like they're good ways to live my life. So I'm going to try to do that, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was me talking to me or, or, or grandma talking to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I definitely caveat what I'm talking about there is very much focused on working with psilocybin, although a lot of mm-hmm. those themes, a lot of those practices could carry over into other psychedelics as well. They're not necessarily as optimized for them. Um, definitely there's a lot of like literal messages that have come from my ayahuasca experiences as well. Although I found that I got more, personally, I got more value, um, in my experiences when I managed to start applying this whole, like, would it all mean on like a, a, on a non-conceptual end of things, because the experiences that I had were actually very wild. I wasn't really getting the same kind of like literal, um, guidance, I mean, like I kind of did, I kind of didn't. It was like, I mean, every ayahuasca ceremony is kind of different than the next. And I haven't done enough so in my life to be able to feel like I could give you a full rundown on them. I I drank ayahuasca 13 times over the course of three years. That's not very many Mm -hmm. times. My experience with the ayahuasca, I feel like a deep knowing of what those experiences were for me. But that doesn't Mm -hmm. give me a sense of what ayahuasca experiences fully so that's cool that you got such like a a a literal sort of guidance i've heard that from other people as well although i've also heard from other people that they get literal guidance that in hindsight i'm like that kind of feels like bad advice you know like you probably shouldn't just quit your job when you get home kind of thing yeah well i didn't get those kinds of guidances like the basically the things that i got were like um stop worrying so much about the future be here now the future is coming it's always coming you don't have to live there you can live here right now mm-hmm. so i'm like okay you know because that's like during the experience i'm i'm going through these intense uh various types of intensity you know emotional intensity cerebral intensity all these different things are happening to me and my mind is wanting to escape in some aspect from this in level of intensity that i'm experiencing so it's like my mind is going to the mundane of my the flight back home or you know my my business here my small business what's going to happen with that or x y and z and she's like why are you trying to escape this moment into the future like just stay here in this moment don't you don't need to comfort yourself by escaping into the future which and that moment can be comforting but in another time you know living so much in the future is often a deep cause for anxiety for for people, you know, it's like you're spending so much time planning, plotting, and contemplating what's going to happen. You know, extrapolating all these different um, experiences or ways that life can go, and that causes a lot of people a lot of anxiety. It causes me anxiety. So let me point to something here, okay? So this is actually where what I was talking about really comes into play, and I'm glad you're using this. If you don't mind me Please. deconstructing yours a little bit, yeah. So you get the the very literal, like the literal, like top down, like high-level manifestation, high-level conceptual manifestation of what you were learning there, which was basically like be in the present, okay? Be in the present is not what you learned, okay? Be in the present is a phrase 
that describes to you, or that's not the lesson. It is a phrase that describes to you the learning experience you went through. Because if prior to that, I just said to you, yo man, be in the present, what would that mean to you? Almost nothing. It would mean, it would just be another trite platitude that people put around on social media and all the rest that makes no difference to you. Maybe in the moment you'd be like, yeah, you're right. But then like five seconds later, you're in the future. Mm -hmm. Two seconds later, you're in the future, right? Yeah. That, that in all of that experience, the lesson that the learning opportunity that's there for you is not the, oh, okay, be in the present. That's sort of like the conceptual anchor by which you can hang on. That's what I mean by the theme. Okay. The theme is being the present. But, and I can contemplate, you know, like, what does that mean? But it's not actually be in the present that I'm, that gave rise to be in the present. It was something else. It was this intense, overwhelming, emotional, psychological, spiritual experience that you were in. It was all these emotional themes that came up that bashed you around in the violence of the DMT and all the rest that sort of like laid the groundwork for that moment for there to be like a realization that in the psychedelic experience you were having with the ayahuasca, which manifested as this like direct relational, um, this direct relationship with a voice that seemed to be guiding you in some way, which you're calling mother ayahuasca and many other people do, that it manifested mm-hmm. as a, as a, as a teaching and the teaching had the language of being the present, but it wasn't the language that you were learning. It was yeah. what it meant on that deep, visceral, affect, feeling, emotional level to be in the present or not be in the present, mm-hmm. right? And so when, exactly. I'm, when I'm thinking about contemplating and, and the type of integration I'm going through, so then there would be the, oh, contemplating being in the present, but then also not just be in the present as a conceptual exercise, but be in the present of what did that feel like? Because the lesson there was ayahuasca offered you the opportunity to feel on a deep and probably extreme uh, level what it is to be in the present and mm-hmm. what it is to not be in the present and yep. why shifting into the present is likely going to be more advantageous for you specifically because of the damage and likely the defensive reactivity that being out of the present is doing to your life and likely you probably had realizations about how that's negative for yourself but it's also negative for your relationships and it's blocking you from this and it's harming you in that way all of which manifests as a singular phrase, which later is an anchor, stay in the present. Yeah. But then the real learning of that is not just keep staying the present in mind, but keep in the body knowing what it feels like to be in the present Mm -hmm. and that the positive neuroplasticity would be practicing what it feels like to be in the present until it is is like a muscle that you can flex when you're realizing you're out of alignment again. Does that all make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know – it's so interesting talking to people about this, especially who are knowledgeable and able to break this down. And it, it shows me new things over time, these different conversations and then my own, my own um, musings with it. But yeah, I was shown exactly what you just said. I was shown what it feels like viscerally and deeply to be in the present and how peaceful and how beautiful and how like just this breathtaking sense of every like nothing else exists outside of this right now. And so it's like everything that you ever cared about, like you can let it go. You can let go of all these weights and responsibilities and all these things that are attached to the future because it doesn't exist in this moment. Only this, only this second right now exists. So I was there for a time, you know, and I'm, and it's just, you know, I remember thinking while I was there, 
remember this because this is the most intense moment of peace you've ever felt in your life. Like, remember this specifically. And then I was taken to this other place where it's like these rapid fire um, visions of the future, some of which are, are, are good, some of which not so good. It's like possible futures. And I'm going through these scenarios very, very quickly. Um, but yeah, it's just showing me like the chaos of my own mind when I'm constantly obsessing about the extrapolation of the future as opposed to the deep sense of peace that I felt when I was able just to be calm and still for a minute. And it was, I was shown the same like gem of a concept from like all these different angles and see all these different facets of it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Did so, you so just... Did you just integrate me? Like, did you just shrink me down? Or <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I, I expanded you out. Um, yeah. Like a combination of both simultaneously, right? Uh, yeah. Like you compress coal until it becomes a diamond. So it's a smaller, it's a smaller thing, but its structure is more complex and it gives rise to greater light. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, something in there about, about not taking literally like the not taking the literal manifestation of the experience as an absolute, which is something that arises in people who um, sort of, I think, dysfunctionally uh, over project their own inner authority onto the manifestation of the ayahuasca voice or the mushrooms and so on and so forth. Because once you do that, you lose your ability to sort of like critically appraise and integrate and make judgments about how it actually fits in your life. If you just go, the ayahuasca told me the ayahuasca is like the superpower, super intelligence. Like I trust exactly what the ayahuasca tells me because if you were to do that, possibly I'm saying you, cause we're using your experience, but it could be anyone. Um, sure. If you had just been like, be in the present, that's where all the peace is. What you might have ended up doing if you didn't think about that further is to say that the only place I should be is in the present because that's where the peace is. Mm -hmm. And so then, oh, I'm not going to worry about the future, blah, 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 which manifests as now you actually have become very irresponsible. Sure. Rather than going like, okay, that was, that was what I've learned in the trip. How do I apply that now? This is the contemplating. How does that apply in my life now? Because mm -hmm. instead of being like, oh, the solution to all my stress is to eliminate all my responsibilities that bring me into thinking about the future so I could just live a life in the present moment. And maybe it is. Maybe you go in the direction of living a monastic life and that works for you. Fuck yeah. But chances yeah. are you want to come back to family and friends and work and your role in the world and all the rest. And so mm -hmm. if you were to be like every time there was like stress, you used being in the present moment as like a spiritual tranquilizer to avoid the responsibilities of the distress of, of uh, or the responsibilities of attending to complexities in life. to so the heavy mm -hmm. emotional lifting of being alive in the relational world. Well, then that would be a dysfunctional lesson because you wouldn't have actually learned how it applies in your life. You would have just sure. like tagged it on and it would become as before it was trite and now it's damaging. Right. So, mm -hmm. so the, in, the contemplation then afterwards is like, so how does that apply into my life? Okay. <clears throat> you said you saw it from many facets. So now it's like, it's not like the answer to this is that I should be in the present moment. It's like learning the piece of letting go of this rumination shows me that that's available to me so that I could practice that place. And now that becomes a tool in my toolbox, this not ayahuasca, the tool, the ability to connect with the inner peace of being in the present moment as a tool in my toolbox for when I feel that my tendencies towards worrying about the future 
are now dis are, are negatively impacting my ability to navigate my res my responsibilities back in the real world. Does that make sense? And so now you yeah, have that. Absolutely. You now you have that as something that helps you better show up in the world because you chose to consider it, to contemplate it, and to integrate it in that way. Well, it's like another thing that people say that's just kind of like a euphemism, the type of language that people use in these circles. But it's like the medicine knows what you need. It's like it know it knew. I mean, I'm I'm using this type of language because it's just the the simplest way to describe it. But it's like during my experience whatever this was that was going on knew that I needed to be pushed harder in that direction than I did in the direction of be more responsible because that's just the type of person I am by just, that's my personality, you know? So it knows. And I kind of intuited that this was going to come up something, um, related to fear, anxiety, the future. These things are all interconnected concepts. Um, but I was only expecting it to be on the superficial level. Like I'm going to go, it's going to be difficult. I may have a fearful experience. I'm going to deal with a fearful experience, overcome my fear, right? Yeah. Well, no, it takes you so many layers deeper, deeper that it shows you like, okay, here's like level one. You're, we're having a fearful experience. You're afraid, but why are you afraid? Like, what is it that you're fearful of? Okay, let's go down to the next level. Okay. What is it that happened in your life? And certain point x y or z that created you this idea of fear based around this concept another level deeper and we just keep going down and down and down until we get to the core of you know whatever it is that underlies this whole concept of living in the future which feeds your anxiety which causes you to be fearful because you made up this idea of what the future was going to be like and the future is not going like that so now let's be afraid and it's like right right you, you, you get all the way down and then all of a sudden you're like you're experiencing yourself as like an infant and you're like being held by your mother and she and your father are stressed about the fact that they're going bankrupt and they're completely terrified by the future and and you don't realize that that's something that you're learning throughout the course of most of your childhood because it's totally like non-conceptual direct into the limbic system kind of learning and it doesn't turn on as like a as a conceptual modeling uh structure for navigating the rest of your life until you're much older and then all of a sudden i'm not saying this is the case but all of a sudden you're like wow i thought i was just like more worried about the future because my life is stressful but i actually have this tendency because i inherited it from my parents from like it was like present in the quality of attunement and like the sort of like larger parental ecology of my early mm -hmm. life and so it's deeply seated in my identity and i've been carrying it my whole life and that's so hard and then ayahuasca is like it's gonna be okay see this is what peace is like and then there's crying because it's like there's the relief and oh it hurts so much but i'm also just feel so much peace and thank you ayahuasca and and oh thank you thank you yeah that's a very good explanation yeah um, i've had i've had something akin i've had something akin to something like that that's for sure uh, yeah. can, can we soon oh absolutely yeah. man um so let's go ahead and do that let's why don't you just uh, tell us about your current projects anything you'd like the listeners to know about where they can find you all that kind of stuff we'll go ahead and tie it up here because we've been doing this for quite a while man and uh t what's going on in your life as far as that goes what do people need to know about uh well anyone who is interested in what i'm doing everything is available at jameswjessa.com so from Regardless of what I say next, jameswjessa.com is where it's at. So I run a podcast. I've written a couple of books, both about working with psilocybin mushrooms. Uh, one is very textbooky. The other one is uh, storytelling narrative. They both have different 
like they both offer lessons in different ways, obviously, uh, or mm -hmm. offer information in, in different ways. Um, and I also write, I have a blog, I do a YouTube channel that is, is where the podcast releases, but I also do other stuff. I have an alternative clips channel, uh, where you can get clips of the podcast. Um, I'm back into writing about things. I have an essay in the works that I won't talk about, but it is connected with a recent, with the lecture I gave at Breaking Convention this year, which is available um, online to watch. Um, but everything is at jameswjesso.com, my podcast, my videos, my written work, and also a lot of recording of lectures I've given um, over the last few years, and everything is available there. I run a Patreon. That is how I fund my ability to commit full time to producing this stuff for people to enjoy and learn from. Uh, and I'm on social media at James W. Gesso, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All right, man. Thank you so much. That's James W. Gesso um, from the Adventures Through the Mind podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today, man. This is like a fanboy moment for me. I really appreciate you doing this. And uh, it's been a pleasure to quote unquote meet you. Um, we did it the right way, I guess. We kept our social distance, but we still got a great <laughs> show in the bag. And uh, thank you for coming on the show, man. I would love to further work with you in any capacity, and I hope to run into you out there in the real world, IRL, one of these days. Yes, well, well after it's uh, well after it's now okay to shake hands and and, and talk within a, a six foot radius of each other. Absolutely, man. Thanks a lot for doing the show. Um, we will uh, see you next time, Psychedelicasters. Thank you for tuning in, and. Uh, We'll see you next time. Bye, James. Thanks, thanks. a lot, man. I appreciate. Thanks, I really appreciate. I really appreciate your work and your podcast. So, thanks, dude. Cheers. All right, bye, brother. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. My interview with the magnanimous James W. Gesso of Adventures Through the Mind podcast fame and of many, many other ac men of many accolades. Um, so not to beat a dead horse, but it was an absolute pleasure having James on the show. I understand that, especially after listening back to it, the vibe of this interview or that interview was a little heavy and a little tense. Um, and unfortunately, that's the state of affairs that we find ourselves in. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but it was just a heavy, a heavy interview. Um, I would love to have met James for the first time under other circumstances, but that's not the way that it went. Um, I'm very happy with the result, and I am very happy to be bringing it to our listeners today. Why don't we do our closing quote and then get on out of here? If you can't tell already or if you were unsure, uh, the great and powerful Terrence McKenna is one of my biggest influences in life and one of my favorite speakers and authors in general. Uh, so you may hear a lot of quotes from Terrence as this show progresses. We're going to leave you with one from the master himself today. Our world is in crisis because of the absence of consciousness. And so to whatever degree any one of us can bring back a small piece of the picture and contribute it to the building of a new paradigm, then we participate in the redemption of the human spirit. And that, after all, is what it's really all about. Thank you for joining us today, Psychedelicasters, and thank you once again for joining us in prying open the third eye. Good night, ladies and gentlemen.